morning, and uh, welcome to Journey. My name is Randy, and I'm glad you're here today. You know, I love hearing the little impact pieces that we have each week because it's a great reminder to me uh, of what's going on. Sometimes uh, some of the things like uh, the, the respite night, uh, you know, got by me, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's really cool to know what's going on. We have such awesome people engaged, and I uh, just want to thank uh, Emily and Jeremy for, uh, for helping to share that vision with Eric uh, it's going to be awesome, and uh, it's really going to minister to some people. You know, so many of us, we're so blessed that we don't have those challenges in our life, and we don't often think about the people who do. Uh, so we need to really keep them uh, close to our heart and, uh, and, and in our minds. Uh, well, guys, we're in a series that we've been in for uh, just the second week, actually, that we're jumping into today, and uh, we've been talking about uh, Significant Other is the title of it. And, um, you know, we said it kind of correlates with February being the month of love and everything, and Valentine's Day, and so we're talking about relationships and how sometimes they can be unmet, uh, unfulfilling, unsatisfying, uh, but we need to understand that the power to control that, change those things, are in our hands. You know, sometimes we think it's out of our control, we can't do anything about it, uh, but with God's help and, and our activity or our commitment, we can, can truly change things. I want to kind of open up our time by sharing with you a uh, uh, kind of a memory I had, and I, I didn't, I'd never heard of this website before until 2015, which is probably a really good thing, uh, but the website Ashley Madison in 2015 was hacked, and uh, if you don't know what that is, that website actually and openly facilitates adulterous relationships with the help of a very sophisticated advertising campaign that promotes discretion and security. The motto of the website is, life is short, have an affair. Uh, but the, the hack was proof of what the Bible says, that be sure your sins will find you out. Because somebody released about 10 gigabytes, just a massive amount of information, stolen data, that revealed many state and federal judges, prosecutors, federal employees, military personnel, college professors, journalists, Hollywood celebrities, lawyers, teachers, I'm sure clergymen as well were in that uh, data. And they had solicited the services of this website to have an affair. But what I thought was interesting is that the biggest day, or one of the biggest days of their services is the day after Valentine's Day. Because that's the day that both men and women, you know, who were disappointed in their spouse's lack of effort for romance decide that that was the litmus test and now they're free to go ahead and have an affair. It is justified. You know, we live in a world today that people just simply don't value relationships and and as we're looking in this um, series about significant other, we're going to be talking about intimacy. Remember, we kind of discussed that all the way through. And last week, we looked at the basis of intimacy. And we said that as human beings, we were created for relationships. We were created for community. Uh, we were created, created to come together and not be islands to ourselves, but to share in a, a community, the church community. And then we also talked about the importance we feel like that you need a small group of people, a smaller community of people that know you and that you know that you can talk, be yourself, uh, communicate, share your hurts, your needs. And we call those our, our, our journey groups here at Journey. And we'd love to have you be a part of one of those. But we also talked about the fact that we're created that most of us are going to seek intimacy with one person. The Bible says this is uh, one man, one woman for a lifetime. Because we all have needs that are only going to be met by that one person. And last week we talked about the fact that women primarily need to be loved and cherished and men need primarily to be admired and respected. 
And we made a clarification, of course, it's not exclusive that women also need respect and, ad and admiration and men need love and, and be to be cherished as well. We all know that. But in healthy relationships, we just said that both people in a couple are totally committed to the other and they're dying to themselves to meet the needs of the other person. They're dying to themselves to meet the other person's needs. And so today we're going to take the next step in that. We're going to ask, what is it that brings two people together and then binds them together for life? What is it that brings two people together and binds them together for life? Now next week, we're going to take the next step into intimacy, and we're going to be talking about sex. So next week would be a great time, if you bring your kids in here, your little kids, it would be a great time to put them back in our awesome children's ministry. We're not going to be dirty, but we may talk about some things that you'll have to explain on the way home and you're not ready to do so, all right? So I'll just tell you that. But if you have middle schoolers and high schoolers, they should be here. And I would encourage you to have them here. If they don't normally come in here, they really ought to be here. These are the things I would love for someone to tell my kids, and I, and I think you'll feel comfortable about that as well. And by the way, if they're here today, there's some great things for them as well if they're thinking about dating or if you're dating whatever age you are. So today, we're going to talk about four different levels of intimacy. What is intimacy really all about? And last week, if you remember, we defined that as being closeness. And we used the word into me see, look inside of me so that you can kind of understand who that I am. And so today as we kind of talk about levels of intimacy, we're going to build that on of a kind of a triangle type thing. And I think it will make sense when we get there. So let's talk about the levels of intimacy from the superficial all the way up to the most intimate level of relationships. And obviously there are different levels of attraction and intimacy. And the first one at the very bottom, we're going to say the first one is probably the most obvious, and that is physical. That is when you find another person physically attractive, when you look at them and you don't know them anything about them, but you think that is a very attractive person. Now this is a part of our world today. Why? Because sex sells everything. It's out there in front of us everywhere. And, and you probably know that not only is February the month for Valentine's Day, but it's also the month, if you're a sports fan, you already know this, not big news, it's the swimsuit edition month of Sports Illustrated, right? It's soft porn for everybody, right? That's kind of what it is that's out there. It's no surprise to anybody. A lot of attractive women there. Let me just clarify, though, that those photos are airbrushed. They are not real people, all right? Nobody's that perfect, so please don't compare Anyone you see in a picture to a real person in your life, all right? But the reality is we don't have to have a magazine to see that, do we? Men see attractive women. Women see attractive men every day. Certain things that make us attractive or seem attractive to others, you know, it's there all the time. But let me ask, in that level, which is, by the way, the most superficial of all intimacy, in that level, how much of that, how, really, how much do you know who that person is? How deep is that attraction? You don't know anything about their personality. You don't know about their character, their intellect. Uh, when you do find out, many times you're not attracted to them. They may look good on the outside, but there's something inside that is not very attractive. Because physical attraction, even though it's what starts most relationships, is important. It's not everything. And, but, it, but all of us recognize that, right? You know, when I was a sophomore in college and I was standing in line in the cafeteria and I was... Uh, I was, you know, we were checking out the new, fr the freshmen and people coming in. And when I saw this young lady cleaning off tables in the college cafe, there was definitely some serious attraction. And now 37, 38 years later, there's still serious attraction. 
That's there. That's Lori, by the way. I don't know. I'm going to get myself in trouble. She knows that, but you don't, you don't know that. But, I mean, it was there. The physical matters, right? The physical is there, but it's not the most important thing. It can't be. Why? Because all of us know that beauty fades. Beauty fades. If that's all you built your relationship on, you're going to be disillusioned at some point because beauty fades. It's worse for some people, but it happens for everybody. You go back and look in your high school yearbook, at this point in life we do that, and we look at those people that we thought were attractive back then, and they're not attractive at all. I mean, we haven't changed a bit, but everybody else <laughs> is like, what happened to that person? Beauty fades. It's just a part of it. And if that's the only basis for your relationship, then you're in big trouble. Proverbs chapter 31 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Not only does it flee, but also beauty is only really only skin deep. It really is. If you've ever seen anyone that you thought was attractive, and you know, maybe you're in a dating situation, you think they're attractive, but when you're around them for a very short time, the attraction wore off. Because the moment they open their mouth, you're like, oh, that is not attractive if it's, you know, something offensive. And physical beauty can be minimized by things like their personality, their intellect their sense of humor, their mannerisms, their language, their values, all those things that might will ne that can negate the, the physical attraction of someone. Here's the way the Bible says it, Proverbs 11, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So if you've ever seen a pig with a ring in its nose, that's like a woman that has no discretion. That's the Bible, not me, all right? 1 Peter chapter 3, what matters is not your outward appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition, cultivate inner beauty. So physical beauty is not the most important thing. It is the most superficial, but it's important, right? The second level of intimacy is intellectual. Intellectual. And, and uh, it's not about what you know. It's not your IQ. It's your intellect, intelligence. Or it's being gifted. It's all about engaging with someone in conversation. It's about sharing ideas and thoughts and struggles and, and hurts in life. And that's very important. In fact, it's the next level. Once you're attracted to someone, you want to spend time with them and you want to see, is that relationship going to develop? Is there going to be an intellectual level that we can share some attraction and some intimacy there? It's so important. And let me tell you, this is why it is so dangerous to share in this way with someone of the opposite sex if you are married. How many affairs begin with someone, a couple, who, who don't really necessarily have any physical attraction to each other, but they sit down and they begin to talk to each other, and on the intellectual level, suddenly there's physical attraction that happens, and then it leads to the next level and, uh, of, of, uh, of connection. And so you have to be so careful because attraction can easily develop with that person on an intellectual level. It happens there. The third level is emotional emotional. This is enjoying each other's company and having chemistry that, with that person. I mean, once you figure out that they're attractive to you vis, uh, visually, and, uh, and then you like being with them, there's some chemistry that happens there. You become best friends. You enjoy spending time with them, and it's just comfortable between you. Here's how the Bible describes it. Song of Solomon chapter 5, this is my lover, this is my friend. So you become a friend with that person, very close, connected to them. And so all three of these are important, physical, intellectual, and emotional are necessary. And if they're not in a marriage, especially, there's going to be a problem. If you're not attracted to them physically, you're going to struggle. 
And let me just tell you this, because of what I said earlier about physical attraction, if your relationship began and was built upon physical attraction, and they're not as attractive as they used to be to you, or they've kind of let themselves go, or, you know, something has changed in their life, their time hasn't been good to them, or whatever, and you're not attracted to them anymore, you need to fix that. You say, well, how do I fix that? Well, you can decide that, because if you begin to act that toward that person or treat them as though you were attracted to them, you will begin to be attracted. That's just how it works. It's so much easier to act your way into feelings than it is to feel your way into actions. You think about that, I promise you that is true. So, so it, but if you're not attracted, it's going to be difficult. You have to rebuild that, that attraction, your decision. If you can't talk to this person, you're going to struggle because intellectual is important. If you aren't comfortable and enjoy being with them, you're going to struggle uh, in the emotional side. So there, you need all three to have a healthy relationship. And you might say, well, that sounds great. That's really good information. And, and that's where we are. You know, we, uh, I'm attracted to my mate or I'm attracted to this person I'm dating. I, you know, we have an intellectual level that we share and we have a, an emotional bond. You know, everything's great, right? Here's the problem. For most people, they never get beyond these three levels. These are the highest levels of intimacy that they ever experience. And the truth is that there's a fourth level, which is the highest and deepest of all of them, and that is the spiritual level. The spiritual level, that is kind of the, the ultimate, that's the peak. This is when you relate to someone on a soul level in light of your mutual connection with God. Your mutual connection with God. You see, your soul is the deepest part of who you are. It is the eternal and trans part of you. It transcends everything else, this eternal side of you. It's the deepest level at which you can connect with a person. And so the journey toward full and complete intimacy with another person is ultimately a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual journey. In fact, you can uh, add a couple more things to this and see it like this. Add the next slide. The next slide says that if a man and a woman come together and they begin to grow toward God, they're automatically going to grow toward each other. And this is God's plan for our life. This is how marriages are designed to be, that we not only are attracted to them physically, but also intellectually, emotionally, but more importantly, spiritually, and growing toward God, we all grow together and we become one. And that is why there has to be spiritual compatibility between two people who want to get married or who want a healthy marriage today and healthy relationship. Because the Bible stresses that a believer should marry a believer so that they're not unequally yoked. And that's why I, I just said it was so important for anyone who is dating to consider this, to think about this. If you're not, if you're a young person or you're single or whatever it may be, to think about this. If you're thinking about getting married, don't just look for someone that you connect with on these three superficial levels, but someone that you can also connect on the most important level. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says a wife must stay with her husband as long as he lives. If he dies, she is free to marry anyone she chooses. She will, of course, want to marry a believer. Of course, Paul says. And Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So the Bible is really clear that when we search for a mate, it needs to be a believer. Because the goal of marriage is to both grow toward God until the two become one, like we had in that slide a few moments ago. 
And if Christ isn't present in both lives, he can't join you together. It just doesn't work like that. And to be honest with you, this is the most important dynamic of married life. Because when you're both on the same page spiritually, you have a blueprint to work from. You have a set of principles that you can build upon. You have values that you will not compromise. And beyond that, you also have God's Holy Spirit in each of you to help you make the most of your marriage. And I want to tell you, when you have that kind, those kind of resources and you have that kind of power in your life, it, it's just you that's got to do the work. That's why I said a few moments ago, it's your decision as to what your relationship will be like because God's given you all the tools and all the help and all the power that you need if you're both Christians to have a, a, a joyful, fulfilling, intimate marriage. Now, how does this work out or play out in dating? You know, we've all probably seen this happen, but sometimes we don't see it in our own lives. So let me just kind of play this scenario out. I think you can, can picture it, if not identify. How does this play out? Well, okay, there's a Christian woman. We'll go woman uh, just for, uh, for our, our, our illustration. But she longs to have a godly husband. And she wants that oneness in her life. And so she meets a man that she's attracted to. She meets a guy that physically she thinks is attractive. The guy can actually have a conversation unlike other guys she's tried to date. And you know what? She could see herself spending the rest of her life with this guy. So she checks him out spiritually because she knows that's important. And he passes. He passes because the bar is pretty low. He loves puppies. He wants kids. He hasn't worshipped the devil lately anyway. And of course he believes in God. That's what he tells her. And he doesn't go to church, but he wants to go and he's willing to go with her. You see, for him, you know, it's all a part of the pursuit, to be honest with you. Because he likes the fact that she's a Christian. That checks a good thing for him. She's got mal values and morals. Now, he may not have lived a very pure life himself, but he really wants the person he might marry to be pure, right? And so he likes that. And it's kind of part of the pursuit to play this game. So, yeah, he's going to do all the right things. He's going to bring candy. He's going to light candles. He's going to clean his apartment up when she comes over. He's going to go to church with her when she asks. And so she begins to check off the list. Physical, yep. Attractive. Intellectual, check. Emotional check, and she starts falling in love. But what happens is the more she gets to know him and the more time she spends with him, there's a nagging concern in the back of her mind that this guy isn't very spiritual at all. In fact, there's not really any indication that he gave his life to Christ. Does he believe in God? Of course he does. 85% of the people in the nation believe in God. You know, in a cultural and general way, most people believe in God. But she begins to realize that Christ is not a factor in his life. And that he's not going to be a spiritual leader in the home. And she sees that in her back of her mind, but she buries that because she's already given him her heart and her emotions, and they overrule the head, the brain. Now, she's got to do some things. You know, one thing she could just say, this is not going to work, and walk away, but she doesn't want to do that. She may decide that she would rather have some of what she wants than nothing and just settle. She doesn't tell him that, of course. Or she might start the heavy-handed evangelistic routine. And I'm going to tell you, this isn't limited to dating. Some of you guys know this. The heavy-handed evangelistic routine is that she begins to buy books for him. She sends links to sermons, gives him a CD to listen to. She introduces him to Christian men. She takes him to every environment she can find to try to encourage him. And by the way, none of these are bad ideas unless he's resentful of that. And he plays along at first, may even have good intentions, 
Her desire is to give him a Christian makeover, whether he wants it or not. But the problem is that his heart is not really changing toward Jesus. Not a bad guy, he's just not a follower of Jesus. And then one day he pops a question, and she is so ready for this. She's been thinking about it and dreaming about it, and she knows that things aren't right spiritually, and so she goes for the spiritual prenuptial agreement, the spiritual prenup. And that basically is, hey, hey, wait a minute, before I say yes, will you go to church with me? Will you pray with me? Will you be the spiritual leader of our home? Now here a guy, he's on his knee. He's bought a ring, he's invested himself, a lot of time, a lot of effort in this relationship, and he truly loves her. What's he going to say at this point? He's going to say, absolutely, I'll do all those things. You better believe it, I'm going to do that. Inside he's saying, I'm not doing all that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to church with you every Sunday. I already know that I'm going to watch football or play golf or go fishing or whatever it is. But he's not going to tell her that. He's going after the deal. And once she says yes, he's done. And he figures, you know what, she'll get tired of asking, I can outlast her. Now, I'm not painting out this guy or this girl. It could be a woman, you know, turned around uh, uh, because guys, they're Christian guys. They're looking for Christian wives too. They're not a bad person. They're, this guy's just a guy. This is how guys are. Guys are going to do whatever, say whatever it takes to get the deal made right. He loves her, and, and he's going to be a decent husband But she's not convinced him to love Jesus like she does and like she wants him to. Man, it's quiet in here. It really is. Let me just say this. If a person that you're dating does not accept Christ and develop a deep relationship with Christ during the courtship, then the odds go down dramatically that he or she ever will. They really go down. That's just how it is. You know, I have two brother-in-laws. I have, I have two sisters, two brother-in-laws, and they are both great guys. Uh, they've been married to my sisters for many, many years. But neither of these two guys were believers when they decided to, to, to date my sisters. Neither one of them. It's kind of interesting. They weren't raised in Christian homes. But the rule was in our house that if you date my sister, uh, my dad's rule, you had to come to church to do it. That's just how it was. And so these two guys started coming to church. Now, we never had the dilemma, I never had a part of it, obviously, they didn't ask me, but I don't think they had a dilemma about, do they really mean it? Because both of these guys sold out to Jesus long before they asked my sisters to marry them. So I don't really have any idea what would have happened uh, if, if, uh, if they had been faking it or had not been willing to, I just don't know. But both these guys are, are, are awesome Christian men, they love the Lord, they've served as elders in the church, and, and they're just great guys. Two situations where people came to the Lord through the influence of, of, of Christian women. But I want to tell you, I know plenty of women and some men who will never share the deepest part of who they are with their spouse. They'll never be able to share that. They'll never be equally yoked. They'll never have the same principles or values, priorities or values in their lives. And when kids come along, they're a single parent in a lot of ways. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you kind of live this out to some level, different levels. When kids come along, they're pulled back and forth. And what's the oddest thing to me is that I see this generationally as well. I see it in generations sometimes, and I don't really understand that. I've seen young women who grow up in a home where there's always this disconnect spiritually with their parents, and then when they get older, they find someone just like their dad. Maybe that's the power of a father's influence, but... 
But I don't understand that because they've seen the struggle, and many times the kids are pulled away from the Lord instead of to the Lord. Now, that's a hard dilemma, isn't it? That's a tough issue. It really is when you're dating. And so you might ask, well, how can you know? How can you know about this person? Maybe you're dating someone, and you don't know for sure. You wonder. Let me give you just a checklist, some questions you can ask. First of all, can they describe a moment in time when they accepted Christ? Was there ever a moment that they could say, this was when I accepted Christ? Most of us will, can tell you the day we give our life to Christ and what that meant to us and, and, and different points on our spiritual journey. Can they share that? Is there room in the future for God? Is there room in their future for God? What do they choose to feed their mind with? What do they watch on TV? What kind of books do they read? What are, what are, what are they focused on? Where does the compass of their heart naturally point? Who or what does it point to? Through what lens do they see the world, their worldview? Who do they spend their time with? Maybe the biggest one, if they were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict them? Not that you're trying to judge someone, but if this is a mate, this is a pretty important question there. Let me just say this. If you're looking for someone to date and they don't line up with you spiritually, then don't date them. Don't give your heart away. And that's what I would just advise anyone If there's someone that you know that you would not want to marry because of any reason, especially spiritually, don't date the person. Because our hearts will deceive us, they'll give us away. Now, maybe you're here today and and you're married and one of two things happened. Either you came to know the Lord after you were married or you were married and you didn't consider the spiritual component when you married someone. What do you do in that situation? It's hard, isn't it? Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a woman must not separate from her husband. It's pretty clear. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified. The word sanctified means being made holy through her believing husband. He goes on to say, but if the unbeliever departs, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And I will tell you that the most influential person in your spouse's, your unbelieving spouse's life is you. The Bible puts the burden totally upon you to say this is your responsibility to love them like Jesus does. Your marriage may not be the Christian marriage you, should, you want and should have, but you're bound in the marriage. You should commit to that marriage. Do your best to love them and be Jesus to your spouse to influence them. Now let me talk to the other side of that because it's possible that today you're here and you're the guy or gal that I described and you may be a little bit uncomfortable right now. That could happen. That wasn't my intention, but I I began to think that could happen. And uh, and maybe you got drugged here today, or maybe you got guilted here today. Can I encourage you not to write Jesus off? Not to write Jesus off. Because the person that you love and trust with your life, literally, they really, really care about you. And they want to spend their life with you in the highest and deepest level of intimacy. They don't want it to be superficial. 
They want your life to be closed. They want to love you and meet your needs, everything that you need. And beyond that, they want to spend eternity in heaven with you as well. They want that for you. They may not say that to you. They may have tried the, the, the prenup, the spiritual prenup. They may have tried the high-pressure evangelism. They may have given up. They may be hands-off. Who knows? But they really want that for you, and they really think about it a lot. So if you love them and you trust them enough to marry them, then I would encourage you to trust them enough to think that maybe this Jesus is pretty important and that you would give him a chance, a real chance at making your marriage, your life, your eternity what you want it to be because God can help you do that. And if this really does promise the highest and deepest level of intimacy, isn't it worth exploring? Isn't it worth checking out just to see why this person that you love so much has such a high level of value on their relationship with Jesus? Let me just wrap up this morning by saying that there is a Savior, Jesus, who loves you, and he gave his life for you so that you could experience the best of this world and, more importantly, the best of heaven, the best of eternity. And what I want to see are families together in heaven. I want to see every part of my family there, and I want people to be honest enough to say, if you know you're not going there, then find out why and what you can do about it. And I would love to have that conversation with you. Any of our staff, our leaders would love to take a few moments and talk to you about that. You can contact us at any time because we care about you, about your lives, about your relationships, and about your, your eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the impact of your word and the power of it. God, it makes us think. It makes us go beyond the superficial things of life that we consider every day, and it makes us look deep into our lives and our relationships. God, I pray you'll help every one of us to do our best to be sold out to you and to, to, to be in fulfilling relationships that meet the needs of others. God, help us to die to ourselves just as Jesus died for his bride, help us to die for ourselves and to live for the other person, to meet their needs. And God, thank you so much that you set the example up through Christ to give us life eternal and to give us hope. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>